Jesus, you said, if anybody is thirsty, let him come to me and let him drink. And whoever believes in me, you said, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this, John says, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. And so we come to you and we just drink your presence here. The Lord, the giver of life, Holy Spirit, we're here. We thank you for these mysteries that have been set down in front of us. The mystery of how the triune God has been with us, working on our behalf, leading us to glory. And that you're here present with us now, opening our eyes to these mysteries and helping us understand the way in which we've been slotted into them. And so we pray that you'd come and open our eyes again to your wonders. Help us see the face of God in these scriptures and in one another. Grant these things we're asking. We pray, may the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. It is good to see you this morning, New Life East. If this is your first time with us, my name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor here. And New Life East is one of eight congregations of New Life Church meeting across Colorado Springs. We follow Jesus by worshiping and connecting with one another and serving each other and serving in our cities. And uh, it's a joy to have you with us. So if this is your first time, I'd love the chance to meet you after the service. Like Colin said, we'll be having food trucks uh, out in the parking lot and soccer field to be open, games and all that stuff. So I'd love the chance to meet you. Pentecost Sunday. This is such a huge Sunday. The process of salvation history uh, is not complete until the Spirit is poured out as an anticipation of that final day when the life of God rushes upon God's creation in such a way that all things are made new. And so this is such an important moment. And this is the moment when the church is born. And so we thought it'd be fun just to be together as a whole church family. And I'm looking across this room this morning and giving thanks to God for all of the good things that he's done in our midst over these last two and a half years. I'll have more to say about that. Yeah, thanks be to God. You can give it up. Give it up for the Lord. I love it. I'll more to say about that in just a moment. I'm in the book of Acts chapter 2 this morning. Natural place to begin for Pentecost Sunday. The scripture says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all, the 120 believers gathered together in the upper room. They were all together in one place. So they had been with Jesus for the 40 days following his resurrection from the dead. And then he ascended into heaven and they spent the next week and a half or so kind of sorting out some business. You read about that in Acts chapter 1. They've got to find a replacement apostle for Judas. And they're sort of just doing what Jesus said to do. And that's what Jesus said. He said, don't leave Jerusalem, but just wait. Well, what are we supposed to do in that waiting? Just wait. Just stay there. Well, what if we get a little bit antsy? Don't be antsy. Just wait, Jesus says. Wait for the gift that my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. Jesus said, for John baptized you with water. So you had an immersive experience in water. But in a few days, you'll have this immersive experience in the Holy Spirit. So that's what they did. And they're all here together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Everybody say each of them. And all of them. Everybody say all of them. So each and all. Everybody say each and all. Each and all. So individually and all together. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues 
As the Spirit enabled them, brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. Now, what does it mean when we say Pentecost? What are we talking about there? Uh, Pentecost uh, is a Greek word that just means 50th, okay, 50th. And this celebration, the celebration of Pentecost, was actually a critical celebration, one of the annual festivals of the people of God, the ancient people of God. You can read about it. It actually goes back. It has roots all the way back in something called the Festival of Weeks that goes back to the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 16, if you have Bibles, you can flip there. The scripture says, count off seven weeks from the time that you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. Now, uh, many of you, uh, by a show of hands, the last time any of you in this room put the sickle to your standing grain, not too many. You grow the grain, you know. And as the grain all of a sudden starts to ripen, it gets to that point when you can begin to harvest it. You put the sickle to it. And so what Moses is saying is seven weeks from that point. So in other words, you're seeing the beginnings of the grain, but seven weeks later, you'll have the full harvest of the grain will come in. He says, count off those seven weeks, and then you're going to celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a freewill offering in proportion to the blessings of grain, that the Lord your God has given you. And what are you going to do with those blessings, that proportion that you bring? Moses says you're going to come and you're going to rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You and your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites in your towns and the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows living among you. And remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. And so the people of God begin to bring in their harvest, the harvest of grain by which they live. Grain, that grain was like the thing that powered their life. It powered their whole economy. If we don't get the grain that we need, what happens? We die. Our life falls to pieces. But if we get the grain that we need, it powers our life. It is the life actually of our community. And so when that comes in, the Lord says, I want you to bring a portion of that, all of you, and then you're going to come together in the place that I choose as the dwelling place for my name. And you guys are going to throw one crazy party. Why? Because we live. We're alive. We have a future and we have a hope. And, and that party, as it's articulated here in Deuteronomy 16, is not just relegated to the people that actually did have an amazing harvest or the powerful people of society. But it's you and your sons and your daughters, your male and your female servants, the alien, the foreigner, the stranger, the widow. Everybody gets in on this because there is this renewal of life. And so Pentecost, I want to say to you, was an annual celebration of the Lord's gracious renewal of life, which benefited everyone. And in that way, it becomes this powerful figure of what the Lord does in sending the Holy Spirit. That the grain, in the same way that the grain is this thing that powers the community's life, and therefore they celebrate to the Lord their God, so also the giving of the Holy Spirit, and in a much greater way, the giving of the Holy Spirit powers the community's life. It actually wakes them up. It makes them the church. And so the Spirit is poured out upon the 120 in the upper room. And the Scripture says that they spill out into the streets, speaking in tongues, and all of those from across the Roman Empire who had gathered for Pentecost, they see the disciples in the streets speaking in tongues. 
and prophesying. And they go, what is this all about? And Peter gets up in the middle of that group and he begins to speak to them. And he says, this is the thing that Joel spoke about. That in the last days, what God is not going to give is, it's not more grain to power the community's life. But in the last days, I will pour out my spirit, Peter says, upon not just a select few, but upon who? All flesh, all people, and your sons and your daughters, just like the sons and the daughters participate in the grain harvest. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your young men will dream dreams and your old men will see visions, even on my servants, like those that are on the margins of the community. Get in on this. Peter says, that moment is happening. Pentecost is here. The giving of the Spirit is here. And now in the giving of the Spirit, the one whom the creed declares to be the Lord and the giver of life, all things are being made new. And the people of God, they're experiencing a rebirth in the Spirit, which is why the text in Acts chapter, after Acts chapter 2, get it right, Art, concludes like this. Peter replied after everybody asked him, what should we do to get in on this? And Peter replies, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive this gift too, the gift of the Spirit. And the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Verse 42, and all of a sudden 3,000 are added to their number and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And everybody was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers, everybody say all the believers, they were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and they possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Friends, the church is the first sign of the Spirit's work in the world. Acts chapter 2 doesn't end with a bunch of people having had a private existential encounter and then they go off to kind of seek God on their own personal little spiritual quest. But Acts chapter 2 concludes with the people of God together living in the power of the Spirit so much so that nobody claims any of their possessions as their own. But they sell their possessions and they, their goods and they make sure that if anybody has any needs in the community that those needs are taken care of. And they're so filled with joy at the presence of each other that every day they're meeting together and breaking bread and enjoying each other's fellowship. And wouldn't you know it, what happens? The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That all of a sudden all of these outsiders start coming in because there is this life that has been created by the power of the Spirit. The church is the first sign of the Spirit's work. That's what we celebrate when we celebrate Pentecost Sunday. And it raises the interesting question then of what counts as Pentecostal. Maybe you've heard that term before, Pentecostal. We're a Pentecostal church. We're a charismatic church. And that can be yet one more thing that we use sometimes in the church, I think, to divide certain groups up. Well, those people over there... Those are like the Pentecostal Christians. And then there's the rest of us kind of normal Christians over here. We're not too sure what's going on over there with those Pentecostals, you know. And, but I think that wherever the Spirit is moving, the church is Pentecostal. Yeah. 
right? This promise is not just for a select few in the church, but it's for everybody in the church. It's for us and for our children. It's for each person, as we read at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, and it's for all the people. It's for everybody. And I grew up in what might have been called a charismatic or Pentecostal church. And so texts like this, man, we love texts like this, and we celebrated texts like this. And I think when I thought about being charismatic or when I thought about being Pentecostal, I thought about the signs and the wonders and the manifestations of the Spirit, all the big dramatic public stuff that kind of set us apart in some ways from the rest of Christendom out there. I thought about speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues and prophecy and all that stuff. That to us was like our stock in trade. And one of the things that that did for me as a youngster growing up in that movement is that whenever I went into a church service, I was always anticipating that there was going to be this thing that happened that was very much like Acts chapter 2, you know, that if we really did it just right, you know, if we worshiped just right and if we kind of managed ourselves just right in the service and we were just fervent enough in the service, what would happen is that we'd have an Acts chapter 2 kind of moment where all of a sudden the sound like a mighty rushing wind would blow and people would be speaking in tongues and laying on the floor out in the power of God, you know, and healings and signs and wonders and all of that stuff. And I can remember so many Sundays where I went home going, now, did we do it? You know, like it was great and everything, but it was, that, was that the thing? Was that the thing that was supposed to happen? I'm not really sure. Everybody seemed kind of excited about it, but was it? Was that it? Were we doing the thing that we were supposed to be doing? Or I don't know if Jesus doesn't come home and you know, come back and take us home to be with him sometime, you know, in the intervening week. We'll have another shot at it next Sunday and we'll give it a go again. Try to have that experience that mirrors what happened in Acts chapter 2. And the benefit of hindsight now, maybe in a little bit more experience, I look back on all of those Sundays and I look back on that church that I grew up in. And I think what was, what I did not notice, maybe others noticed, but I did not notice it was that the miracle of Acts chapter 2 was actually always happening under my nose, under our noses all the time. And yes, there were signs, and yes, there were wonders. And yes, there were healings, and there were prophecies. And yes, people were speaking in tongues. All of those signs that we look for as like evidences of the Spirit's work. But the bigger and more obvious evidence of the Spirit's work was that there was a church at all. A church that was gathering every Sunday in the name of Jesus. A church that was opening itself up to the life of God. And a church that because it was gathering in the name of Jesus, and because it was opening itself up to the life of God, it was radically open to itself. Its members were open to one another. And there was this dynamism of the Spirit's life that when I look back over 18 years of having been raised in that church, I think about all of the many ways in which the Spirit was grafting people into the life of that community and raising us up together to be a people who bore witness to Jesus Christ. And think about what it meant for me to be a little guy growing up in that church, in this milieu of the Spirit, and having older brothers and sisters in the faith, and uncles and aunties, and grandmas and grandpas who loved me and put holy identity in me, helped me understand what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, and prophesied over me, and spoke the word of God to me. It formed something in me. It was happening, is what I'm saying to you. And sometimes what we do with the Spirit's work is we collapse it into these one or two couple things and we go, unless the Spirit is doing that thing, then there's not really revival happening among us. And I just want to challenge that notion this morning. 
wherever there are a people who are gathered in the name of Jesus and open to the spirit and beginning to share life, guys, that's where the miracle is happening. Jesus makes this great statement in John chapter three. He says that the wind blows wherever it pleases. Talking about the Holy Spirit here. He says, you hear it sounds, but you can't see where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everybody who is born of the Spirit. Have you ever seen the wind? I've never seen the winds. You cannot see the winds. What do you see? You see the effect of the winds. And in the same way, we never see the Spirit directly. Do you know what we see? We see the effect of the Spirit. We see what the Spirit does. And so one of the great theologians of the 20th century, Robert Jensen, says this. He says that as the Spirit shows his face, the church appears. Do you want evidence that the Spirit is at work in Colorado Springs? You are here. There's a church that's welcoming the presence of God and welcoming the presence of strangers and beginning to call them family. That is the evidence of the Spirit's work, friends. And to me, there is nothing more beautiful on planet Earth than the church alive with the power of the Spirit. This takes my breath away. And I think back to a few years ago, when we were still in the planning stages for New Life East and Pastor Brady, senior pastor of our main campus there, New Life Church, Pastor Brady was asking me, going, hey, Andrew, would you consider being the guy who plants New Life East, get a congregation started for us on the east side of the city? And I remember I just had, we were coming off of eight years of having planted a church in Denver and I knew the work that went involved, that's involved with that. And I also know how much when you plant a church you love so deeply. And there was this thing in me that I was like, I just don't know. Like if we do another church, can I give my whole heart to that? Will I be able to love again in the way that I need to love? And I remember hemming and hawing to him about that. I'm not sure if I should do this. I'm not sure if I'm the guy to lead this thing, Pastor Brady. And I'll never forget the word that Pastor Brady said to me on the phone one day. He said, Andrew, I think that the reason that you're having a difficult time with this decision right now is because there are not people involved. It's all abstract. It's just plans in the ether. It's just an idea. It's just us doing whiteboarding sessions together. He said, but I can guarantee you this, that the moment people start getting involved, the moment we start pulling a team together, the moment we start having little launch meetings together, the moment you start rubbing shoulders with the people who also feel called into this work, something will change in your heart. And he was right. <laughs> but I think about the story of this community over the past two and a half years, guys, there was not two and a half years ago, we were not a thing. And now here we are. And I think about what Sunday mornings mean to me. I think about waking up early in the morning and I think about setting the morning's work in front of the presence of God. And when I think about what Sunday morning is going to be, I think some about my sermon and I think, about, I think some about what our worship set is going to look like. But mostly what I'm thinking about is the faces that I'm going to run into when I get here. And I think about the people that are going to greet me in the parking lot and at the door. And I think about, I'm, going to, I'm thinking about the volunteer huddle where we're looking at each other's faces and enjoying each other's company. And I'm thinking about that explosion of life 
that happens somehow in worship, what we just experienced in worship, that somehow the Spirit falls upon us and there is this uniting together of hearts and minds and lives. I think about that and it takes my breath away. And then I think about all of the stories that we have shared over the past two and a half years and the way in which this community, without any prompting from anybody, the way that this community, like life is rushing back and forth. And people are being lifted up by that life. I think about all the stories that he had as a staff. We share them at our staff meeting every single week. And you'd be staggered. We could be here the entire week telling stories about how the Spirit has been work, at work in this community. I think about the people that have fallen into hard times in our community. And we've gotten word from their table group weeks later that their group raised thousands of dollars for them to help pay their mortgage. I think about things like that. If somebody needs a car, all of a sudden there's a car that's getting donated. Somebody else falls into trouble and the church rushes. That's Pentecost, guys. We're living in a world where nobody cares about anybody anymore. We're living in a world where we're divided and we're sequestered and we're trying to keep each other at arm's length and everybody's a little suspicious of everybody else. And then all of a sudden there is a people where the Spirit is breaking down barriers and causing them to come together in the name of Jesus. That's an evidence of Pentecost. I had coffee this past week with Micah Massey, one of the worship leaders at our main campus there, New Life North. And Micah and his wife Shannon live not too far from here, five minutes or so away from New Life East. And so if he's got a Sunday where he's not leading worship somewhere else, a lot of times they'll pop in here and they'll worship. And over coffee, he said, Andrew, he goes, you know, I love New Life East. He goes, every time I come... There's just such a spirit of like authenticity and community in that space. Like you can feel like the connection that people have with one another. It's real. And he said, what do you, what do you attribute that to? Like, what have you done to make that possible? And I said, Micah, there are 10,000 reasons why that has happened at New Life East. And very few of them have anything to do with Andrew. I said, but. If there's one thing that I've tried to do from the beginning with New Life East, it's I've tried to say to people that the church is not a hurdle that we leap over on the way to the kingdom. <laughs> Too many of us treat the church like that. That we go, okay, so Jesus says I'm the way and the truth and the life. And I believe that, but I also kind of think that Church might have something to do with that. So it sort of seems like if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that the church is like in the way. So maybe if I can just kind of get through the, the gauntlet of the church, somehow I can get through to Jesus. And I'm saying to you that there's no Jesus, but there's no spirit. There's no God the Father for us to have apart from the reality of this. I said church is not something that we leap over on the way to the kingdom. Church is the kingdom come in our midst. Jesus says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, what happens? I'm there in the midst of them. That he's breaking down the barriers and he's pulling us together. Micah looked at me and he said, oh, he goes, that's good. He goes, church is the prize. And that is true. But this is the prize. That we're together with one another and the power of the spirit and our lives are being enriched by it. Which is why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, when he's praying for the church, he says, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, where? In the saints. This is where the riches are. This is where the glory is. 
This is where the benefit of being in the kingdom is. The eyes of your heart enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which he's called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And that power, Paul says, is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Friends, and we're in this space together with one another. Pentecost happens and our lives are made new in a world that is tearing itself to pieces. And you're reading the headlines like I am. And we can rattle off the places in the world right now that are being ravaged by violence and by destruction. The Ukraine, Buffalo, Uvalde, Tulsa, Ames. One after another, these moments are happening. And I have people come to me and we're gonna stand and prepare our hearts for communion in just a second. I'll have you stand right now, actually. And I have people come to me often, find myself having this conversation over and over again these days, where people will say to me, Andrew, the church needs to take a prophetic stand. We need the church to rise up and take a prophetic stand, they'll say. And usually when they say that, there's some political or social agenda that they have. (laughs) The church needs to take a prophetic stand about this. The church needs to take a prophetic stand about that. And if we do that, then everything will be better. And I'm, well, I'm here to say to you this morning that the church's very existence is the prophetic stand. John says that nobody at any time has ever seen God. Nobody's ever seen God. But if we love one another, then God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. When the spirit moves upon us, we're seeing the very answer of God to all of the problems that the world faces. So what's the first task of the church then? Say, come Holy Spirit, and then to love one another. Friends, can we do that this morning? Can we welcome the presence of the spirit in a fresh way in our lives? We acknowledge this morning, oh God, that this is what you are doing in the world, this and nothing else. You have one agenda. And your agenda is to pour out your spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. Your agenda is to pour out that spirit upon all flesh so that there's a renewal of humanity. So we say this morning, do it in us. We're asking that you would defeat death in us. We're asking that you would defeat in us all that divides us from one another. We're asking that you would defeat in us all that is loveless. For the Spirit, Paul says, is the one who brings to us the love of God that awakens hope in us. And so we pray that the love of God would come in us in a fresh way. That the life of God would come into us in a fresh way. And that you would bathe us again. Baptize us anew in the power of of your spirits. Grant us, we're praying. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, let's respond with worship and then Pastor Colin will lead us to the table.
The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. So do that now. Would you thank the Lord that he's included you in the church? That he welcomes you here today. Would you give thanks to him for the people he's putting in your lives, for the relationships he has around you? Would you give him thanks for what you have that comes from him? Would you give thanks for what he's allowing into your life? Maybe it doesn't feel good right now, but would you thank him for it? Would you look for him in it? Would you thank him for it? Communion is where we come. We find ourselves at the table. It's such an amazing place where we see the Spirit of God descending. You know, bread, which we hold in our hands, this little wafer here, is so ordinary. Bread is so ordinary, you know? It's one of the fundamental things that feed us. How interesting is it that this is how Jesus comes? And what he does with his disciples as he gathers and he does something very ordinary, but it's what we mirror when we gather like this is he serves them a meal. And he says that, that, that this is his body, which is given for us. So what we see in communion is that he comes in ordinary places and ordinary things. That's us Sunday after Sunday is gathering in an ordinary place is his presence among us. Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, after he'd given thanks, just like we've done tonight, he took bread and he broke it. Would you break that? He was pierced for your transgressions. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Would you do this in remembrance of me? Would you receive this gift? The same way after supper, he, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this whenever you drink it. Give thanks whenever you gather together. Would you remember? So we remember that God is for you. We remember that, that he forgives you. And we remember that we are part of the kingdom of God through this meal and through his death on a cross. We have hope. We have healing, we have redemption, we have this family around us. Thank you for this new covenant, Jesus. Would you receive the cup? Thank you, Jesus. And it is his presence in you that animates you. It's his presence in this church that animates the church. We're gonna respond one more time in worship and would you just do that? Would you put yourself in front of him and say, God, it's your presence alive in me. Come on, lift your voice.
So praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him When the Spirit shows His face, the church appears, the face of the Spirit. Friends, don't, don't miss the miracle. It's happening right now. Would you open your hands like this? Receive this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May He cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. I'm going to invite our altar ministry team to come forward. If you need prayer for anything this morning, we would love to stand with you in prayer. Remember, if you're new, just hang out with us. We'd love to have you join us for food truck fellowship hour, whatever we're calling it here in the soccer field. I'd love to meet you personally. And uh, so stick around. Join us. It's going to be a fun time. Yeah. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We'll see you next week.